yak babies, sex, presidents, and sometimes books. Welcome to Yak Babies, the only podcast on the internet sponsored by Leon Glue. Keep your Leons in place. My name is Aaron here at Personal Pals Dave. Morning, boys. Good morning. It's afternoon. And we have Brick. <laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Uh, so on the podcast this week, we're talking about authors. What a surprise. But we're doing a little twisteroo on this one. Uh, we want to talk about authors that are underrated, under-celebrated, the sort of names that you should check out. Uh, you know, sort of our recommendations, suggestions for maybe the guys we don't talk about too often on the podcast. You hear a lot about, you know, Stuart Dybbuk and people like that. But, like, what about so the names we don't celebrate as often? We hear about those people, too. So I'm going to go around and hear my personal pals on their Nico is too today. aggrieved to join us. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's Nico, underrated. Concert, <laughs> yeah, underrated does not exist in Nico's sphere. <laughs> it, it's... Yeah, it does not. A, it does not. It's not a category he can respond to. So go over to the press pause and hear what their thoughts or recommendations are here. Dave, you said you had a few ideas, so I'd love to hear those. Tell yeah. us about your underrated authors. Should maybe go like round robin. I have my. You mentioned a Stuart. I have Onan, Mister Stuart Onan, which mm. he's not somebody that doesn't get a lot of attention on this podcast. He's like, sure. you might even say he's overrated on our podcast, but like. I feel like in the reading world, he's not the name that he should be. And in the past few months, I've had two different writers refer to him as like a writer's writer, like similar to how, you know, a comedian who's not really well known among the general population, but like other comics love him is a, or, or her as a comedian's comedian. So I kind of feel like that is true for Onan. He's just, you know, such a gifted writer and he does so well in so many different forms and and approaches but i just don't you know it's rare to see a book of his in a bookstore it's rare to see anyone like reading a Stuart onan book out in the wild yeah but yeah i just i think he's so good and feel like you should see Stuart onan out in the wild yeah did he have a book out somewhat recently i feel like it just made no splash or i didn't yeah. know if it was talking about it at all yeah which is surprising i wonder if that's i mean do you I feel like Stuart Arnan has a reputation, warranted or not, as like kind of like an NPR author, maybe like someone who is like I don't not not middlebrow, but just sort of like you might hear him interviewed on Fresh Air and then never think about him again, right? Which is I think a little shame because his books are amazing. I don't know. Does that track with your thoughts about about Stuart Arnan, David? Yeah, it could be. I mean, part of it could be his interest too, right? Like his mm. he he writes about I guess kind of quiet lives for the most part. I mean, last yeah. night at the Lobster, the one that we've we've done a group read of and all enjoy is about a shift, one a, a one day shift at a Red Lobster. Right. You know, he's got this series about this older couple whose names are even escaping me right now. Henry and fuck, I, I can't even think of it. But those are very good books. But they're mm-hmm. just about like aging, almost elderly people just kind of going about their lives. Emily, right. Emily alone. So, yeah, I mean, he's good with like those literary character studies. But then I've read a couple of his books. So there's one called, uh, I believe, Night Country, which is I wouldn't call it horror, but there is a supernatural element to it. Hmm. After a car crash kills a bunch of high school students, that one is super good and like a different approach. Right. He has this excellent novel set in 19th century wisconsin that's like i mean it includes 
disease, like a pandemic, well, not pandemic, I guess, uh, epidemic, catastrophic train derailment, cannibalism, necrophilia, like throws all these really interesting things into the pot. And it's also told in narrated in second person. (laughs) It's so good. It's like, it's like whatever, whatever he tries works out well. Right. That's prayer for the dying. Right. Yeah. 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 That book is wild. Yeah. But like controlled wild. Right. Right. Lastly, the lobster, we talked about it. We did a whole episode about it, but I, that's still my go-to recommendation when anyone asks if I have a book recommendation. This happens. Students will sometimes ask me, if I have like a reading recommendation for them. Uh, and I always pop out that cause like, it's a short read, but it's really fucking good. And it like, it's, it's almost like a guaranteed win. I don't think you could read that book and not come away. At least feeling like you spent your time well. Right. And I think it's such a rewarding book and a really rewarding author too. I agree. Totally underrated. Yeah. And th- that book in particular, I think is interesting because you, it takes place over the course of a shift at a red lobster and you can read it in that amount of time. So it's like, you know, you're following kind of minute by minute of what's happening on this shift. And like, I'm yeah. sure when you tell people to read that, they're like, how can that be interesting? Like, I don't, I don't know how you describe it, but it's like, you know, it follows a manager on a shift at a Red Lobster. Like, it doesn't sound like compelling fiction, but obviously yeah. it's it Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's us. not sexy. Like the, the Stuart Arnian subject matter is not necessarily sexy. I mean, that song for the missing is about like, it's like a crime novel that has none of the conventions of a crime novel. Like you don't find out, well, spoiler, I guess on song for the missing, you don't find out what happens to the girl. She's just missing. And you like are left with some assumptions, but there's no resolution. There's no, uh, it's a very, it's a much more internal story. And it really sort of breaks those, that mold a little bit. So yeah, it's like, it's, it's unconventional. And you're right. The selling point is always like, well, it's like, if you've ever done service work, you understand this and you see that he understands it. And that's like one of the, you know, to me, one of the main charms of that book is that it's about work that doesn't get dignified often. And he understands what is dignified about it and why it deserves dignity, but also why it's backbreaking and punishing at the same time. It's like a weird, he just understands it really well. And I don't know if he did the work himself, but he certainly knows the the patterns. He obviously researched it really well. Brick, what about you? Let's hear one of your underrated authors. Sure. So the first two I got are maybe a little speculative. Okay. And I'll explain. So uh, so one I have is, is Shirley Jackson. Yeah, good one. But the, I have not read a lot of Shirley Jackson. So right. I, sure. I see her come up kind of sparingly in, you know, like, hey, this is a really good thing someone should read. In fact, I think I bought a, a book or two of hers that I haven't gotten to yet. And I, so I, I get the sense that some people think she's a really good writer uh, based on what I have read of her. She can write, but most people think Shirley Jackson equals the lottery. And, and that's about, and right. that's about right. it. So I might need to track this down to see if she's actually underrated or if there's a reason everyone only <laughs> reads the lottery. But I have a suspicion that she's a good author that just doesn't really get beyond her one hit wonder status in modern conversation. That's like a, a school short story, right? That's a high school. Yeah, it's like everyone reads kind of it in high story. school. Yeah, yeah. We sure. do a lot of. Uh, we talk a lot about the the books that we read in high school, but not the. Um, I don't feel like we talk so much about the short stories that are like high school reads, mm-hmm. and how we feel about those. But yeah, that's a that's a good one. I've never read anything of hers other than the lottery in school. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, the haunting of Hill House is. I feel like a good. That's like a minor. Oh, days wear the shirt. There you go. <laughs> minor hit, and then. Um, 
She has that book, We Have Always Lived in the Castle. That's, which the, that's, is, that's uh, the book I bought that I haven't gotten to read yet. Yeah, I haven't read it either, but I have, my understanding is it's a kind of underrated classic. I've read a bunch of her short stories, and they're really good. Uh, she's an incredible writer. Mm-hmm. And there's a story, I think it's called The Party, maybe? I can't remember the name of it now. But I assign it when I teach creative writing because it's a good... I think it's a good horror story with no horror elements. Mm. And I sort of like ask my students to consider like genre trappings and conventions and you know, what do you do if you subvert those or is this even intentional subverting them? Um, it's a cool story. Very short, but very controlled. She's a, yeah, I, I think Joy Jackson's great. It's a good choice for sure. Is she Southern Gothic or just Gothic? I don't know where she's from. I don't think she's from the South. I think she's from New England. I get New England vibes from her. I'm going to look it up. I think, yeah. Hill House definitely has a New England setting. Yeah. Debbie had a strange or an interesting life for sure. Um, there's that movie about her from a couple of years ago. Vermont. There you go, Vermont. Elizabeth Moss plays her, and her husband's played by Michael Stuhlbarg. It's supposed to be a not bad movie. What's Maybe that called? Put it on the. Was that? What's the movie called? I think it's just called Shirley, but I'm not sure. I think it's what I. From, it's probably maybe four years ago. We'll add it to our growing cache of movies to watch during our Yak yeah, Cinema Club, which is becoming a spinoff podcast steadily my choice is i don't know this is i think underrated maybe i'm not maybe it's not she might be very rated actually <laughs> certainly not overrated but perhaps fairly rated but maybe not i don't know i just don't know how what the feeling on this writer is but carson mccullers is my choice i mentioned her before in an episode about the the three books everyone should read i chose the heart is a lonely hunter and i also ended up recommending that to someone recently too a student who was asking about for reading recommendations that had mentioned liking Southern Lit. And I was like, oh, great, Carson McCullough, you should read those. They're fantastic. I love her work. I love her short stories, too. I've read several of those. I've read Battle of the Sad Cafe, which I liked. She's just great. I think she has a, a role. When people recommend or like Flannery O'Connor, I think that Carson McCullough gives you what Flannery O'Connor doesn't. And I don't mind Flannery I think she's a great writer, too. But Carson McCullough gives me what I really want. It's, it's more... Uh, there's a more human touch to it. It's just, it's more sensitive. It's more, I don't know. She's a really good observer of character and, and nuance like that. I relate those stories and they're sad, which is obviously right up my alley. Mm. Dave, what else you got? There's a, a story writer named Julie Hecht, who uh, mm. I think is excellent. And she, I don't think she gets much attention. I don't think she's published a book and maybe 15 or 20 years. And a lot of her stories mm. were in the New Yorker originally, like, 80s and 90s so you know she was probably better known back then but so she has two story collections that are excellent uh she has kind of a weird nonfiction book about andy kaufman which i may have talked about on the podcast some years ago she like took an assignment from harper's in the late 70s to follow him around and interview him and, and write a profile and she's like as a she's a super neurotic person which is what a lot of her stories kind of center around a neurotic character right not like really humorously so but she as a person is neurotic you can you know it comes through in this kaufman book and he's he was like you know just like a prankster just like you know goofing with her the whole time and it caused a lot of emotional damage to her i guess during the process and the profile never even ran in harper's it was just scrapped oh wow so that was kind of a weird reading experience. I didn't love the book, but it was unique. And she has a novel about this same character that was, I guess, only so-so. But her stories are so good. I don't know why they're those two collections haven't become like, well, I don't want to say part of the canon, I guess, but 
you know, I never hear them talked about at all. Um, yeah. And they ought to be. Yeah. It's a name I've never heard before. <laughs> um, that's cool. I want to look that up. Definitely. That sounds great. Very close. Yeah. Another one comes with a caveat because I've never read anything else by this author, but that is Malcolm Lowry because mm, I had sure. never heard of Under the Volcano until we made a joke about it when you looked it up randomly on a list and then we thought that it was yeah. intriguing and then you read it and then we all read it and honestly it's one of the better books I've ever written or, or read. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know why you you know we hadn't heard of his name before why maybe i don't even know if he wrote other books but yeah he definitely did but i, I never see them in bookstores like yeah. I, I every time i go i look for more lowry and never you find know anything. and it might just be that the first 75 pages of that book are so challenging that people get thrown yeah. off and it, it doesn't you know it doesn't get the you know attention and maybe it maybe deserves because it's not as accessible you know um uh, it's not even 75 it's like 20 yeah sure <laughs> they're so forbidding yeah. that it feels like 75 yeah. but you know i feel like you can walk into any bookstore and find that book at least it's like was it top 10 on the modern library list or it close to it? Yeah, i think it was yeah top 10 or 20 yeah. yeah but you know it kind of feels like one of the one of the entries on that list that a lot of people will buy in a bookstore because they like to have you know books that are on that list but then yeah they sure. probably don't read it or they start, like you said, Brick, and then kind of fumble around the first few pages and then quit. Yeah, and I mean, the quality of that book aside, it's just you don't hear his name mentioned with his contemporaries. Yeah. or Yeah. There's an yeah, Under the definitely. Volcano bookstore in Mexico City that I would like to go I know. To. Our, 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 uh, one of our reader friends uh, strongly encourages us to go. Maybe, Aaron, that's where we should be looking at the explosion. Yeah, explosion, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're to find the Airbnb. Mexico the, City. Under the Volcano bookstore. <laughs> Yeah, smooth, Bring smooth transition from Aaron's, Aaron's uh, U.S. diarrhea. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> so we'll get a grout discount. Won't even notice it. <laughs> a diarrhea tour of the country, just like or the world to see his, what, what kind of diarrhea we can have at different locations. Aaron, do you have Montezuma's revenge? I've I, everything seems normal. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I had a. When I was a kid, we had a Sega Master System, mm -hmm. and one of the games for it was a game called Montezuma's Revenge, and it was like a, like a little platform game, and I remember liking it a lot. It was really hard as fuck, but it was fun. And then when I got older and heard about like what Montezuma's Revenge is colloquially refers to, it was very funny. There's a game called <laughs> basically Diarrhea. <laughs> yeah. Better than Custer's Revenge for Atari. Yeah, right. God. Nightmare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. Uh yeah, so I want to read more of those Lowry books. I, I am yeah. curious to get them out. I'm going to have to seek them out more deliberately as opposed to trying to just like stumble upon one at a used bookstore because clearly it's not happening. But yeah, I mean, that's an author who could easily slot into, I think, a high school AP reading list and who I never ran into in those lists until that Modern Library one. Mm -hmm. That was the last time. Probably a Vogue thing. You know, he was maybe more in favor in the mid 20th century sure. uh, and then fell out as time has moved on you know another book like that is arthur kessler's darkness at noon right which is sort of like another like used to be one of the classics and now you know no one ever talks about anymore mm. but i also i'm curious to read to see what another, about another book about. i've bought and have not read yeah right <laughs> we've all got those <laughs> might, be, uh, might be an episode in itself i did buy the first entry the first installment or volume of the usa trilogy by john dos passos and it just sits uh eventually cracked that one too like there's all these you know once loved classics that i want to dig into but you know get distracted by 
33 new thirds. I, I've tried that one, by the way, that Dos Passos. It was like 15 years ago, maybe even yeah. more, but it kind of felt like the opening of the Lowry book, Like, and I just was not prepared at the time. Right. Yeah, right. Forbidding, sort of like that kind of modern slash postmodern, like trying to wade through all the, yeah. I'll, I'll crack it at some point. Or, but that was the, we did an episode about trilogies, and that's what inspired me to get it, mm. and then it promptly sat and waited. An author I have that's who's underrated, which is surprising because this person wrote very highly mainstream comics for a long time, but hasn't written a lot in a long time, and, and it's too bad, is Louise Simonson. She's a writer who worked on X-Factor, which is an X-Men spinoff book for a long time in the 80s, and she also wrote Superman for a long-ass time. Which maybe is, now that I think about it, it could be less than I think it is, but when I was a kid, she was writing Superman, and it felt like she was just one of the default Superman writers. And she's great. Her stories are excellent. She has a real fun voice. She's married to an artist, Walt Simonson, who's also a... He's, like, highly celebrated. And she should be as well. Louise Simonson's a, a voice that I would love to have more of in comics. Very fun, but not in a stupid, jokey way. You know, my, my current nitpicking with comics is around how everyone's humor is either Twitter based or sitcom based, you know, like writers can't come up with any original jokes. And so they just default to the things you hear and sitcoms or TV shows. And it's just like this morass of awful non-humor. And she was actually funny and, and clever and cool. And so I miss Louise Simonson and wish she would write more. Dave, back to you. Um, Stephen Graham Jones is my next one. I feel like he's gaining prominence finally. He's an excellent writer. He, I think, is probably mostly known for his kind of horror books, not yeah. many of which I've read. But he, I first discovered him in, man, I don't know, 10 or so years ago. He wrote like a, a memoir novel blend called Growing Up Dead in Texas, which is probably a top 10 book for me. It's so good. Wow. It's hmm. also, Aaron, the second book I was going to recommend to you if I backed out of the Dana Spiata. Oh. So, yeah. Uh, and since then, I've read a couple more of his. And in the past two or three years, I think, I feel like I've seen his name around more. And it's like his books are starting to win awards and stuff, um, which is good right. to see. And I, I hope that continues because, goddamn, he's a very good writer. I need to go back and finish The Only Good Indians because I was loving it and then I got distracted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brick? Uh, I got one more. Who... Mm-hmm. Uh, I have actually read a bunch of this person. Um, all three of her books kind of fit in the same kind of like time period and, and sort of you can tell what her interest is. Uh, and that's Andrea, ba- Andrea right. Barrett. Okay. She wrote the novel um, Voyage of the Narwhal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I've read uh, a couple of her kind of novella story collections, Ship Fever and uh, Archangel. Very good writer. Uh, kind of fits pretty squarely in that in that kind of literary fiction mold. So if that's not your thing, you know, not going to love it. Her books are all, right. at least what I've read, really focused on like 19th century, on the cusp of like the scientific re- revolution. And so, so society kind of like science is, is new, exciting, or at least, you know, the, the kind of modern interpretation of it, or uh, not interpretation, but uh, evolution. Yeah. And then really kind of putting putting characters in that, in that kind of societal push and pull uh voyage anyone read any of these i don't know Mm -mm. no voyage in the narwhal i liked better you know than her stories it's a very good book it's about this expedition that goes to like a british i think they're british it might be 
American. It's been a while since I read it. Goes to like survey the North North Pole, like you know, like was the fad back then. And then they bring back some Inuits and essentially cage them and, and ultimately like kill them and put their bones on display. And it, it, it's pretty dark, but you right. know, it's very. Her character works very good. And she does setting very well, uh, and her sense of kind of structure and story is very good. And no one right. ever talks about it. Yeah, Maybe I, because I she only writes 19th century books around people sailing around right. the world. <laughs> I believe she was a. I think she's a professor at Williams. I believe uh, our former oh. our former compatriot had her as a instructor. That's cool. I thought for sure you're going to say Anthony Trollope <laughs> based on the conversation no. in a previous episode. I do love that, but <laughs> yeah. you either you either want to read early modern or you don't. I mean, um, not early modern, <laughs> late uh, whatever the fucking period's called. Yeah, you have to. There's a there's a buy-in with that subject matter. Yeah, that's a good one. I have one that is, it's an interesting one because there is one work by this writer that is highly esteemed, but it's his other stuff that I find underrated, and that's Scott McCloud. Uh, so Scott McCloud is a cartoonist. He wrote Understanding Comics. Everyone reads this book. I like that book. If you want to, it's great. It's super good. He's a you know comics theorist, and he wrote one of the definitive books on like how comics work. And He's actually written several about them. There's one called Making Comics, one called Understanding Digital Comics, I think. And so he, you know, he sort of explains to you in a good, like, kind of entry-level way, like, how the form operates. He does it in the form of a comic, which is super fun. Mm -hmm. But he's also a writer. You know, he wrote comics and and drew them as well, a cartoonist. And he has a comic called Zot, or had one for a long time, an indie comic, a kind of adventure comic about a boy hero from, like, the inner kind of like a, an alien sort of adventure kind of character and he falls in love with a earth girl and it's about their adventures together and it's really fun and he's got a great uh emotional voice and good plotting and storytelling it's very you know meat potatoes comics but in a good way you know there's nothing flashy about it it's just really solid storytelling and it's fun and his art style is great too if you've seen and understand comics you know that he's got a good kind of cartoony style and it translates really well to adventure stories too and everyone talks about scott mcleod but no one talks about his fiction work. Uh, they only talk about the theory stuff and I'm glad they do because it's great, but he's also written great stories. He did a long run on a animated Superman book too. that was really good. He understands Superman really well. Just a great writer. Um, and people, I hope people seek out his uh, storytelling as opposed to just his uh, philosophical work. Any others you want to throw into the mix before you wrap this one up, fellas? I got one more. Uh, yeah. Sir Forbes who maybe is not so much underrated as forgotten. It might be more appropriate because mm. she did win a Pulitzer Johnny in the Tremaine. 40s, So it's like, yeah, that's Johnny Tremaine's uh, Johnny writer. Um, and, you know, I guess I'm sure that book is still, you know, in print and, you know, on a lot of lists and it won the Newberry and whatever. So she was definitely prominent in her time, but she wrote a lot of books outside of Johnny Tremaine, a number of which I've read and they're very good, including novels for adults. Mm, right so yeah i feel like and I, I would imagine that most if not all of those have fallen out of print right but yeah i mean i guess that's you know i've read a handful it's not like i i guess i wouldn't say that everybody should be out there reading esther forbes's novels from like the 30s and 40s <laughs> but um you know they're very good and you never hear a name outside of johnny tremaine yeah i mean that's an interesting case for like the underrated question is that someone who's written a text that is you know, very well known, right? That's as it becomes a canonical text in some ways, but their reputation becomes wrapped up in just that work, right? And so they they seem like they're, 
you know, highly rated because everyone knows the name of the novel, but no one knows the name of the author as much, right? Or it's just like they don't know the rest of their career. It's not as sort of obvious. And yeah. that could be a sort of like more subversive version to be underrated too. Yeah, kind of like one-hit wonder for writers. Yeah. yeah, but not a one-hit wonder where it's like, oh, there's a reason why this is the one hit because the right. rest of it sucks. It's like, oh, this is just the one that clicked and they were steadily doing quiet work, you know, after or before that, but just no one paid attention because it wasn't as marketable or, or you know, whatever might have happened. Well, listeners, tell us your thoughts on these underrated authors. Give us recommendations. We want to look, always looking for something good to add to the ever-growing list. You can email us at yakbabiespodcast at gmail.com. I think we're officially eschewing social media for now, but you can find us and contact us on Patreon, patreon.com slash yakbabies, where you can find our bonus podcast there. It'll cost you $1 a month, and you can get access to jokes and stories and a separate podcast series about candy and ghost jokes and pickle jokes coming up soon all kinds of fun stuff there worth your time for sure like i said only a dollar a month and then of course we have merch tinyurl.com slash jackbabies where you can buy t-shirts and mugs and posters and underwear designed by brick all really fun good stuff based on our classic inside jokes from the show until then yak babies yakking off the yak babies would like to thank all the loyal listeners and especially their patrons both past and present including michael Bonnie, Sebastian, David, Roger, Kathleen, Bailey, Andrew, Gilbert, and William Howard Taft. Oh.